0: Do you know why I admire you, Nick? You do not seek power. You simply ask, is the thing right? The time's coming when you're going to have to pick a side. No, I don't do sides.
1: What are you going to do?
0: I think it's something. You, you never met a monster you couldn't love.
1: Hello and welcome to another Slate Spoiler Special. I'm Dan Coyce. I'm an editor at Slate. I'm here in Slate's DC office, and I'm joined remotely by senior editor Jeffrey Bloomer, who is up in New York. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Dan. So today we are spoiling Fantastic Beasts, The Crimes of Grindelwald, or as it's pronounced in the movie, Grindelwald. Uh, It's the second movie in the Fantastic Beasts series. Uh, That series are a set of prequels to the Harry Potter series, and all together, along with 10,000 other ancillary products, they're all part of the Wizarding World, J.K. Rowling's Harry Potter collective universe. Um, As always in Spoiler Specials, we are going to be discussing the plot in detail which is the only way to discuss the plot of this completely insane movie. So if you do not want to know about which character in the Harry Potter universe has a brother we've never heard about until now, even though we already read most of a biography of this fucking character written by Rita Skeeter in canon, (laughs) don't listen any further. So uh, let's establish our bona fides first. Jeff,
0: what is your connection to Harry Potter? Are you a fan? Um, yeah, I think I have like a slightly more rational connection to the franchise than you. I've, I've, I, well, okay. So I read the books. Um, (laughs) I think I, I think I last read the books when I was an undergrad in college. So, you know, a a time ago and I've seen all the movies, some of them multiple times and I generally admire the franchise, but like, don't feel emotional about it.
1: Uh, yeah, that is more rational than me.
0: (laughs) Um, so I, there, I have
1: been in my life a, Super fan of Harry Potter, Um, and I'm that most annoying kind of super fan, the one who never even was a child uh, with the (laughs) Harry Potter universe. The books first came out when I was in grad school um, and sort of accompanied me through my early adulthood um, to the point where when the seventh book came out, um, we had a two year old daughter. And we sent that two-year-old daughter away to visit her grandparents so that we could read a children's novel without being distracted by (laughs) our child. Since then, you know, my affection has cooled a bit only just because it's been a while. Uh, But it's also warmed a bit because now I have kids who are also in love with Harry Potter who have read the books and seen the movies and gone to the wizarding world and, you know, visited Harry Potter studios and and love the series quite a bit. Um, And so I saw the movie, this movie. Uh, with my oldest daughter, who's now 13, um, the very child we once sent away so that we could read the book in peace, um, and uh, one of her best friends. So I have not only my view on this movie, but the teen view on this movie to convey.
0: Amazing.
1: All right. So uh, let's start with the the titular character, who is not Newt Scamander, the ostensible uh, hero, but uh, Grindelwald who's played by Johnny Depp. Um, The movie opens with this, uh, you know, big action sequence of Grindelwald escaping from a prisoner transport. They're trying, I guess, to get him from America to Europe. Um, uh, The last movie ended with Grindelwald being captured. We know a lot of things about Grindelwald, thanks to the earlier books, which happened later in the universe um, because of things that people have talked about, including JK Rowling about this character um, and things we learned in the previous movie. Um, He's played by Johnny Depp. What do you think of him as a villain, Jeff? Does he, did you, do
0: you find him scary, inspiring, hilarious, campy? What, like, what's your vibe? Uh, Sort of, unfortunately, none of the above. I I think I, I'm sure that there's a lot of things that are different about Grindelwald that um, Voldemort, and I'm sure that you could spell those out for us. But to me, being a casual fan and observer, he seems very similar to me, like perhaps a little more flamboyant. He's got sort of this dandy vibe going on, and obviously there's a lot of Johnny Deppisms. but the the character itself, like, it, this is supposed to be Wizard Hitler, and it just not scary to me. I'm not afraid of it. Yeah,
1: I, yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess part of the idea is that, like, I guess actual Hitler, if you met him in person, was not that scary. It was that the, the power of his ideas – and the force of his personality and his ability to turn other people to his cause is what made him scary. Um, but in general, I agree with you. Like Johnny Depp, uh, despite his seeming personal villainy, uh, does not actually make that scary of a villain in the context of this movie. And it's interesting to compare him to Voldemort. You know, he seems to me like, like the series attempt to sort of create a, to give us an idea of what early Voldemort was like, right? Like Voldemort, as we knew him in the books and in the movies was always this sort of, uh, like decrepit, creepy snake man played by Ray fines. Um, who like, you know, was intense. Um, but he was not like intimidating exactly. And he was like so weird off putting that it was hard to imagine why people would flock to him. Like, why would you, want to spend time with this unpleasant snake man who insults you all the time. Um, and here we're given this like sl- somewhat younger, not so much younger, somewhat younger, charismatic in theory leader who's assembling all his people to him as opposed to seeing the guy once, you know, he's sort of past the prime of his uh, of his leadership um, and his, his cultness. Um, but yeah, I also don't like get a great, I would not follow Grindelwald to the death, Um, no matter what his ideas were. It also is made slightly more complicated by the fact that his ideas don't exactly make sense. Uh, We will get to that at some point in this podcast. Yes. Um, So uh, one stumbling block for me in this second Fantastic Beast movie uh, is that I did not remember the first Fantastic Beast movie that well. So for example, when it turned out that Credence, who's played by Ezra Miller, um, was sort of at the center of this one, was like the MacGuffin that everyone was chasing. Uh, that caused problems because I thought he was dead, for starters. Um, yeah. But also, I just, like, I remember that his story was very intense, and he was a, an intense teen, um, but I didn't recall exactly what his dealio was. What what did you remember about Credence, and what can you tell us about the role that he plays?
0: Yeah. So I think that you're right. I mean, like a week out from having seen this movie, I like now I'm struggling to remember what happens in it. Like it's like, that's, I think, a <laughs> sign of the problems. But uh, so, yeah. So in the original movie, I remember that Credence. Yeah, no, it was actually like a fairly like kind of fun and intense little uh, central plot that was sort of threaded throughout the movie with him and Colin Farrell kind of like whispering oh, at yeah, each other right. alleyways. It was like pretty good. Um, I remember it being an animating force and like a genuinely dark and weird thing going on. And that's why it's pretty disappointing in this. it was that he was like a puritan kid, right and his his like adoptive parents said he couldn't use magic and didn't have magic, but he his magic was out of control right yeah it's it yeah. was yeah it was it felt. To me, I mean, you know, I'm sort of trained to look for these things, but it definitely felt like a weird big gay metaphor to me where he's like, his magic is going to escape him and it's like a giant black ball that happens whenever he gets emotional and his mother's gonna like smack him with like a wizarding Bible or whatever if it happens. (laughs) Uh, But I, it was, it was, it, it was, and in any case, Ezra Miller is a fun actor. It's kind of like a lot of times when young actors like him go into the blockbuster realm, it's disappointing and they don't really get to be weird or themselves. And I thought he kind of translated pretty well to that world. In this movie, he's reduced, I think, basically to being like a weird, moody assistant to the snake lady. Um, I'm not even going to try to pronounce her name. Who, who am I talking about? Nagini. Nagini. Yes. Excuse yes, me. Yes. Who
1: eventually turns out to be Voldemort's snake, for fuck's sake.
0: Right. Yeah. That's a whole thing. I guess we could get into that if we must. Um, <laughs> I remember the internet <laughs> blew up about that. Uh, right. But uh, yeah, he 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 just he seems to mostly mope around with her, and I guess they're-, t- they're technically chasing him around and there's a reason the movie is fixated on him which is the aforementioned twist i suppose but yeah he just i guess he's a non-entity in this movie and it was disappointing that that's where he ended up
1: yeah he was deeply weird in the first one and he really is like on un- uh, other than like sort of one moment where he cuts loose um and turns into the big ball of smoke and blows some shit up uh <laughs> yeah he doesn't get that many chances to get weird and you're right that that's a little bit that's particularly disappointing given how like Gorgeously, delightfully weird, Ezra Miller is in real life. Right. Um. Anyone who's listening to this, if you would like to just read a totally wackadoodle interview, please read his Playboy interview, um, which just came out the other day and is accompanied by just a great photo spread of him in like bunny ears and high heels. Um. And he, you know, he's like in a polyamorous relationship, and he, um, really likes to talk about bee pollen, and he's just like a great weird <laughs> Hollywood character who's you know who defines himself as queer and and is just like fun to think about like existing in the hollywood ecosystem um and he's doing his best to like let his freak flag fly in this movie um but he it doesn't give him a lot to do
0: yeah the plot mechanics grind him down
1: right like as they do everyone uh in this movie because there are so many plot mechanics all right so let's <laughs> let's run down. All the people who are looking for credence in Paris, uh, which is where the first movie was mostly in New York, 1926. This movie's Paris, 1927. Um, let's run down everyone who's looking for
0: credence. I'm so glad uh, you're this and not me. <laughs>
1: uh, it took me a while to put this together. Like you know, this I, I once considered myself an expert in unteasing J.K. Rowling plots, and the, I was stymied by a lot of this. Um, okay. The ministry is looking for Credence, right? First, they send this assassin because Newt's commander refuses to be the assassin to kill Credence. Um, then when that assassin turns out to be in league with Grindelwald, um, then they just send a whole bunch of Aurors, uh, magical law enforcement, like bad wizard hunters, including Newt's brother, uh, who's played by his, his brother is Theseus. And he's played by, wait, let me find the actor's name. I believe what, it's Callum it's, Turner. Callum Turner. Yes, that's correct. The only reason he's not played by Donald Gleason, who looks who clearly should be playing uh, Newt Scamander's older brother is that Donald Gleason has already been someone in the Harry Potter universe. And in fact, they are running out of Commonwealth actors to put in their movies and are starting to be forced (laughs) to put Americans in them. Um, But yeah, so so that's the first set of people who are um, headed out to Paris to look for credence. Um and that all culminates in a big fight at the end. Um, this guy named Yusuf Kama is also looking for credence. Um, he is a Senegalese French wizard, an heir to the Lestrange family, uh, and he is played by a wonderful actor named William Nodilam, a British actor, William Nadi And he uh also he has some kind of parasite in his eyeball. For some reason, um, but he is looking for, uh, for Credence as well. And that is because, okay, here's the one that gave me the most trouble. He wants to kill Credence in revenge because they're like half brothers and he hates his father and his father loved his son who may or may not be Credence.
0: Yes, that's correct? Oh, well, here's the thing. Do you ever have that thing where someone's talking and you think you're paying attention to them and then all of a sudden you're just not? Uh, that happened to me during the long scene in which they all revealed this plot when they're like in the cemetery or whatever. It was right. on for so long that halfway through I was like, "Shit, I totally missed what actually was happening here." Because it was impossible I was supposed to, pay to be attention. writing it all down. Yeah, well, yeah. I, totally well, is. I didn't even at that point. I was just like, I was a little checked out. Yeah, no, it was just so convoluted, and I had no idea who these characters were. And by the time they start like spending forty five minutes explaining what actually is going on, it's just like Jesus. Like, we could have just. Was this movie? It's this franchise is stretched out to five movies, and I think it was originally a trilogy. And you can just see it happening right in front of you on the screen in this one, in a way that didn't happen with the original movie as much. And it's just like, man, it's like really hard to keep up. It really is the apotheosis of J.K. Rowling's like very, very bad plot habit
1: of just making people explain at the end what has been happening the whole time. And you know, it's like the plot habit of someone who has who has been very successful with this exact mode because no one is reading those books for the plots exactly but when she's like when she has to like write a movie that has to support all the expense and accoutrements and necessities of a movie like it really falls down so yes as you know there's this insane scene in pere lachaise cemetery in like a crypt apparently just like steps away from where thousands of evil wizards are gathering where a bunch of characters who until seconds ago had all been trying to kill each other, just stand in a hallway and explain shit at each other. And it does seem to last forever. Like I, I'm, I'm almost certain that in the theater where I saw the movie, that scene is still going on. Um, but yes, it just goes on forever. And he explains some stuff. And then his sister, Lita Lestrange, explains some stuff. And Newt never explains some stuff because it turns out he doesn't know shit. Um, <laughs> Tina, uh, played by Catherine Waterston, uh, is looking for Credence because Grindelwald is looking for Credence and she wants to find him first. Um, that seems fairly straightforward. She's like an Auror now. Um, she's an American Auror and she is looking for him because she's a law enforcement officer and he escaped from America and she knows that somehow. And so she goes to Paris to look for him. Um, And then Dumbledore is looking for Creedence. So Dumbledore is in this movie. He's played by Jude Law um, Mm -hmm. in a waistcoat. Uh, (laughs) And he sort of pops in every once in a while to look dapper and handsome and send Newt on missions uh, that he can't do, apparently, because he's so busy teaching at Hogwarts, even though he's the greatest wizard in the world. And uh, so he sends Newt to do it in his stead. Uh, What
0: did you think about Jude Law as Dumbledore, Jeff? You know, I have been a longtime fan of Jude Laws. I'll just say that. And I have, he's aged perhaps with somewhat less grace than actors seem to generally. I don't know what the deal is, but basically a lot of the times that I've seen him on screen, I've been like, Oh, Jude Laws older now. And, uh, Jeff, I would kill to look like Jude Law. Well, okay. Look, I'm Come just on. saying, I'm just saying, like, I look, I was like raised and perhaps like formed my sexuality around his performance in the talented Mr. Ripley. That's what I'm saying. Sure. Right. Sure. Anyway. The point is, is that uh he's he's kind of had like a little bit of like a, a new renaissance. He was in spy, I think, if that's the one, and then he's you know, been in a few things and been fun and kind of coming back a little bit. And I found him like very charming and sexy in this movie. Like no one can really overcome the burdens of the plot stipulated. But he is kind of a fun Dumbledore, and there's like a little bit of interiority with that performance and the way he flints around and kind of the wily looks he gives everyone that I think perhaps in a movie that allows him to breathe a little bit it's going to be a lot of fun
1: interesting i i agree that he is appealing as dumbledore and and he he's one of the few characters who just doesn't have to spend so much time wrestling with plot he just gets to be in scenes and be cool while other people like fuss and flitter and yell and then he just sort of you know delivers a little bit of jude law at them and a little bit of charm and the scene ends and like that's great um as as dumbledore i found him disappointing like as jude law i find him delightful as dumbledore he just doesn't seem like dumbledore to me like there's very little like whimsy or weirdness to his performance um it's all charm which dumbledore also has but it, but I guess as I think of Dumbledore, I think of charm, sort of covered under a a, a sheen of daffiness, and there's no daffiness at all here. And I guess part of, maybe the argument of the movie is that, like so many of us, Dumbledore became daffy with age, uh, and that that's what we saw in the later movies, and that in fact he was this extremely cool, collected, uh, unbelievably dapper dude um, in a waistcoat, just like lounging around uh dispensing witticisms um that that is a very good
0: fans take
1: yeah 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 it's a it's the boring fans take i know it's not
0: boring it's good i know i think it's probably right i mean me like liking to look at jude law is not really like unnecessarily like vindicating the performance i mean god
1: god grant us harry potter movies that gave us more jude laws to look at honestly um What worries me a little bit about this version of Dumbledore of Jude Law's Dumbledore is that it seems like the mechanics of the movie, right? The, the grinding gears of plot, the overarching story that we're telling here is going to be the Dumbledore Grindelwald showdown, um, And you've written quite interestingly about that relationship, that sort of canonical queerness and the way the movie glances at it, but doesn't really deal with it once again, the way it teases that, that story. But what do you think about a version of this that is clearly heading towards a a personal and magical showdown between these two characters?
0: Yeah, so I think one of the like few reasons this like keeps me on payroll is so I can write about the weird sexuality in these blockbusters. And as someone, I think you probably understand a lot more about where it's going, actually. But like speaking just to the depiction, it's just been so like amusingly muted that like at this point I'm watching these movies, taking notes, trying to like look for signs, and it just like feels like such such a waste of time.
1: It feels but, like old school, uh, like subtext hunting in a way, right? Like this, I feel yes. like this used to be the way that. You had to find queerness in all products. It was always hidden under the surface, but winked at in a ki- in that kind of way. And so it feels very old-fashioned to me.
0: Yeah, so it seems like what's happening is that they're wrapping – it seems like when they were young, they Dumbledore was in love with Grindelwald, and Grindelwald likely used that against him. We were already seeing him doing it to other characters in the movie, like kind of seducing them for power, and it seems like he realized that what Dumbledore wanted – Was a relationship, and so perhaps who knows what level he entertained it. Like, perhaps these movies one day will tell us. It's hard to say, Uh, and it's all wrapped up in a blood oath that now is like the thing that's keeping Dumbledore from just going out and taking care of Grindelwald for everybody. And so they're wrapping up this like sexual tension and relationship, and who knows what it is, into the main like driver of the plot going forward about why they must like race all over Europe in shadows rather than just like ending it. Um, which just, it feels like it's inevitably going to be very disappointing and weird. Um, And this movie is so funny in the way that it deals with it because I saw it in this super fan-packed theater. It just happened to be an early fan screening. Like David Yates, the director of the movie, introduced it, and they brought out the stars on stage, and these young women I just thought were going to completely die. And uh, when, that, when the scene came up, the scene where they sort of started to explain the relationship between the two, and there was a hilarious moment when someone's like, Oh, you were close. You were as close as brothers and Dumbledore goes closer than brothers. And everybody, the theater just like completely exploded. I've never seen fans. So like, it was just like this amazing moment where everyone felt this release that there had been kind of a little bit of text about what was actually going on. And just watching this like young, presumably mostly straight audience just explode at that was like super fascinating and a testament to how ridiculous this whole thing has become.
1: Uh, my audience did the exact same thing, including my daughter and her friend. Uh, the, just this like explosion of delight and joy um, at being—it's at, at at being acknowledged, right? Like at having this canonical ship um, made text. Uh, in the movie in, in even this, the lightest of ways. And it happens in like a dreamy flashback with Jamie Campbell Bauer playing young Grindelwald um, and them like clutching hands and I guess to do a spell, but we know really. <laughs> um, and uh, and it was I agree that it was so fascinating to watch that reaction and and just suggest that the there's no way that a Hollywood movie of the budget that the future Fantastic Beast movie will have could ever resolve this in a way that is going to feel like not, that is not going to make me unhappy uh, with the way that it has to treat this. And it makes me feel bad for poor Jude law that he's going to presumably have to do some intense emotional scene across from fucking Johnny Depp. And <laughs> it just makes me sad that like, that's that that is the way that this is going to get treated in the end. And it's and it sort of, also makes me sad that this revelation that jk rowling made right that dumbledore was gay all along which could have been just sort of a sweet gift in a way that she gave to people now has to be unpacked in the most stupid possible way by five big movies because they insist on putting dumbledore at the center of them um and so and so it just seems like inevitably disappointing to me uh, i agree
0: yeah it's it's unfortunate, and I think honestly, I've been annoyed by the Dumbledore's gay thing from the beginning because it's like it's either there or it isn't. you don't just get to declare it ten years after your books are out of the stores or whatever it was and I just that said if she wanted to make a text, I'd be thrilled like if they wanted to make the fourth movie of this a prequel where we only do the young scenes where they like snarl at each other and like he's like slowly seduced by like gay fascist evil like th- I'd be thrilled, but That'd what's happening great. now yeah when I'm What's happening now is just it's getting tiresome. And I say that even as someone who genuinely does admire this franchise, particularly the movies, for being more distinctive and more fun and perhaps more emotionally warm than most others. Um, it's just, yeah, it's a very unfortunate note.
1: It's notable that we're about half an hour into this podcast. We have barely mentioned ostensible hero Newt Scamander. <laughs> um uh, it seems almost by design um, because the character, as he's portrayed in these movies by Eddie Redmayne, is just, like so diffident and quiet and unassuming and to my eye, almost totally uninteresting. Um, but do you see
0: depths in Newt's commander that I do not see? You know, I actually really like Newt, Um, or at least I guess I sort of understand. Please tell me why. I guess, I think that, the first of all, I'm like one of the people who like Eddie Redmayne. I don't know if I can be helped, but I think also I like the character because I I at least understand what the movie's trying to do with him. He's sort of an anti-Harry Potter in a way. He's like relatively emotionally stable and kind of like not that tortured, maybe a little, but he... Generally speaking, is just kind of fun and charismatic and pops around, and he gets out of the way for bigger supporting performances, and I don't necessarily mind that. I I don't know. I want him to get with Catherine Waterston, and I want like him to like you know take care of his beasts, and I I don't know. I, I generally find him to be someone I don't mind spending time with, if 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 not memorable, admittedly.
1: I mean, great. I'm so glad that someone like finds him enjoyable i i don't but like it it would have definitely improved my experience of this movie if i enjoyed spending time around him weirdly in this movie i really liked all the fantastic beasts who drove me crazy last movie as for how like uh beside the point they were but here they're like spectacular and fun and actually like drive the plot in interesting ways uh and the nifflers are so cute everyone in my theater just died every time the nifflers showed up
0: wait which one is that
1: That's the little platypus thing that eats gold and shiny stuff. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Okay. The klepto. Yeah. Yeah, No, I liked that one too. That was a really charming scene at the end. Yeah. No, I mean, that's one of the things that I did think the movie did kind of well is that it remembered that it was ostensibly about like the dinosaurs of the wizarding world. And like there was constantly bees flying around and like nearly eating people and stuff. And that part of it was really fun.
1: That was fun. Um, then we have Lita Lestrange, um, who is like, who has her own, like very tortured, Uh, side story, despite the fact that as far as I remember, we have never met her before and she dies at the end of the movie. So we'll never see her again, but she's played by Zoe Kravitz. Um, She's part of the Lestrange family, which uh, fans of the book know goes on to great and terrible things uh, in the era of Harry Potter. Um, My daughter and her friends spent half our car ride home from the movie, trying to figure out who exactly Leda and her brother who it turns out is Yusuf Kama um how they end up being related to the eventual branch of those strange family we meet
0: uh, much later down the road and could not suss it out. Uh for normal people can you remind us who they are in the later Harry Potter world? Sure. Um, That's a great question that I should have
1: addressed. I'm so sorry. Um, So <laughs> Bellatrix Lestrange is as Helena Bonham Carter. She's the crazy oh. lady with a flappy hair who is awful to everyone and then gets killed by Molly Weasley.
0: All um, oh, right. God, these right. people and, seem like the worst.
1: Uh, yeah, they, they seem like a really bad family. And, the you know, the, what we see of their family in this movie also suggests they've always been dicks. But uh, but yeah, so we meet Lita Lestrange in flashbacks in her time at Hogwarts when she's a troubled kid who no one likes um, except for Lil Newt Scamander who's curled up in an alcove taking care of his magical creatures. And it's clear that there's like a, a frisson of uh, of adolescent romantic tension between them still. But Lita is now engaged to Newt's brother um, even though she seems like she's still weird and no one likes her. But she is tortured by this memory from her past, which I don't even know that we can get into the whole story of what the memory is. But the one thing I would like to highlight from it is that the the baby switching that she is tortured by occurs – am I correct on this? On the Titanic?
0: See, the problem is, is, this is the scene where I caught myself not paying attention when they finally explain it. Like, I, I really I know that I'm like falling down on the point of this podcast, but that scene, it was just so complicated that I just like totally checked out by accident. Uh, if it was on the Titanic, that's spectacular. And I'm really kicking myself for not paying attention.
1: I think it was the Titanic. The idea is they are traveling on a ship from England to America. I have previously written in slate about my rage at the idea that wizards fucking wizards have to travel (laughs) on boats. That's completely insane and it's a huge risk as we see in this movie because your boat can sink because of stupid muggles um so their boat sinks she switches a baby saves credence kills some other lestrange and rendering huge chunks of the plot actually totally moot once she makes this revelation okay. uh, but yeah i believe it was the titanic i think that's what we we're going to understand
0: taking along is such a fantastic fucking cornball like a <laughs> part of me wants. Like I, people are kind of mean to her these days because she says stupid things. But I, I kind of want them to take the screenplays away from her. But on the other hand, come on, that's pretty great. I mean, Titanic. she's
1: she's earned it. She's earned the right <laughs> well, to certainly. Do I mean, this is her. Sure. Uh, all right. So, Magic Hitler. What do we believe to be Grindelwald's actual plan? Okay. So we know he wants Credence because he thinks Credence can kill Dumbledore. Um, we know he wants to take over the world, but in that big. Rally in Perlachez Cemetery, he gives this whole speech about how the future, if wizards don't take over, is terrible. And we like see visions of the future and it's fucking World War Two. And so actually he's not wrong. The future of Europe is like not great from the vantage point of 1927. So are we supposed to be cheering on Grindelwald because he will avert World War II, the worst wor- war the world has ever known, uh, or is this movie like making the grim argument that if Grindelwald was in charge, it would be even worse than the Holocaust?
0: Okay, so first of all, when they trot out like literal images of Auschwitz or people marching to a, what looks like it, I was just like, okay, movie, like mm, uh, <laughs> uh, this is probably that's J.K. Taking...
1: Rowling too. That's J.K. Uh, is, is Rowling a... cornball.
0: I mean, especially with, ugh, I I just found that very distasteful. I understand that we're dealing with what we're dealing with in this movie and it's the plot, but I was just like, okay. But I yeah, I did not take it as uh, credulously as I think some people that I've seen have. This, I don't think it was implying that Grindelwald would actually stop the Holocaust. He sort of has like a dark vision of it and wants to create his own version and is using the prospect of a muggle war that's like outside of the wizarding control as like, you know, bait for people to come over to his side. Like I didn't I didn't really read it as if Grindelwald can like, you know, take over the muggles. They won't all kill each other. It didn't seem like that was exactly quite what it was implied to me. Are we meant to believe they won't kill each other because he'll kill them first? I, I don't know exactly what happens like I guess uh, my read was that he would probably he he's just using it to seize power and would impose his own version of it. I assume that he was just using it as a way to seduce people into giving allowing him to basically install his own version of so Holocaust. we should take
1: him seriously but not literally is what you're saying
0: I guess. Yes. Yeah.
1: Yeah. All right. Um. At the end we discover that the reason he wants Credence uh or at least the reason he tells Credence that he wants him uh is because he is Dumbledore's brother?
0: Brother, I think. Brother?
1: Arcturus? I- Arthurus? I couldn't read my notes, they were too messy. Um but so this of course is the like the big reveal that they that that Warner Brothers is anticipating will make everyone crazy with excitement and joy. This is the big reveal that Warner Brothers told us we could not reveal in any kind of published way uh until like Tuesday or Wednesday like they tried to establish a rule about when you could spoil this movie which is which is actually not how it works. I'm sorry Warner Brothers. Uh but but like I what
0: yeah, no, they've been completely insane about this. Like, they have a whole hashtag, hashtag unlock the secrets, which apparently, or no, excuse me, prote- hashtag protect the secrets. Mm-hmm. Um, which even at the screening that I was at, Eddie Redmayne made fun of. Like, it's been, it, this is not even, <laughs> this is not even a particularly good twist. Like, I don't really understand how it's going to change the mechanics of it all. Like, it. I guess this is maybe why Dumbledore wants to find him, too. To, like, tell him not to. I guess there will now there will be like an extra. They can, I guess they can kill now. Dumbledore can kill his own brother in like movie four, so there will be at least a, cli- a climax for that one. I, I can't really imagine um, any meaningful way that this that this is a, a universe deepening revelation. And it just it was such an anticlimax. Even the people, the fans in the movie at the theater that I was in were just kind of like, "Oh, okay," and then they just left.
1: Uh, I found it objectionable on two fronts. On the On the normal person front and on the nerd front. (laughs) On the nerd front, it's like totally dumb the idea that Dumbledore would have another brother that no one knew about. Like, come on. He's like the most famous wizard. So that is dumb. But also on just a pure normal person front, it's just such a bad plot move. Like increasing the series dependence on – this one character and his tortured history, which we've already spent whole movies obsessing about, is like such a bad bet, I think. It's a bad bet for the movie to make. It's you're you're putting all your cards on uh, this character that you've already ca- I feel like you've already cashed out everything we can possibly get out of all the Dumbledore. and then you're putting more weight on him. I just think that's like a dumb movie choice as Forrest Wickman, Our colleague pointed out on Twitter, this is like literally the climax of (laughs) Spaceballs. No, I'm your brother. Uh, Like, except in real serious, dead serious, take me seriously movie form. Um, Grindelwald thinks that Credence can kill Dumbledore in some way because he's his brother. Grindelwald can't do that because of this blood pact or blood oath. Um, Newt's Niffler steals Grindelwald's locket uh, in which the blood oath is sealed and Dumbledore thinks maybe he can destroy it leading to the inevitable fight between them and movie five, I guess. Um, so, so that is as, as far as I can tell the plot, we have spoiled the plot. Um, I think we both agree that it just did not make sense. Yes.
0: Yes. But more importantly, it
1: was boring. Yeah, it was really boring. It was super boring. It was, it was like an exhausting experience to watch this movie. Um, I also found my mind drifting, maybe not as much as your mind drifted, uh, because I was struggling to write everything down, but, and, and then I had teens to ask afterwards, uh, and the teens didn't even know what was going on. And if teens cannot explain what happened in this movie, no one can, right?
0: Yeah, It's just a shame because I was one of the people who was sort of pleasantly surprised by the first movie. I think I liked it more than you from what I can tell. Um, Mm -hmm. And I just I found it to be super charming and fun and a nice new way into this world that I don't necessarily want to leave. And then this movie is just so obvious that they're going to drag it out and make it like impossible to follow and just like not fun to the point where I don't even know if I want to watch them anymore. And that's sad.
1: Yeah, it's really not fun. Not fun is a great Description of what this movie gets wrong, like the few moments where it is fun are real highlights and they have mostly have to do with magical creatures or like whimsy or or a little bit with the relationship between Newton's brother, which is kind of delightful um, in its uh, in the way that they love, hate each other. Um, yes. But, yeah, mostly it's just like a drag. The whole movie is just a drag. And uh, and that is a total, total, total bummer. Um a real highlight for me of this experience was after the movie when I asked my daughter and her friend what they thought of it. The actual first words out of my daughter's friend's mouth were, well, it's a pathetic cash grab. But uh, so <laughs> I was this a, child so, 13, oh 13 years old. Well, not quite a child. pretty amazing to see a, like a Generation Z <laughs> kid turned by one movie into a jaded Gen Xer. Amazing. Um All right. I think we've covered everything that there is to cover about this movie. Uh, I, like you, find myself uh, exhausted and not really that willing to see another one of these movies. We got two years. Maybe in two years I'll be excited again. Um, Maybe J.K. Rowling will explain things after the fact that make me excited. It seems possible. I'm sure I'll see it because uh, as you are kept on by Slate to find the queer subtext in mass market movies, I am kept on by Slate to explain Harry Potter to
0: other people. Well, you've done a beautiful job of that.
1: Thank you for joining me, Jeff, for the spoiler special for Fantastic Beasts, The Crimes of Grindelwald. Thanks, Dan. Thanks for listening, everyone. Please subscribe to the Slate Spoiler Special podcast feed. If you like the show, please rate and review it in the Apple Podcast Store or wherever you get your podcast products. If you have suggestions for movies or TV shows we should spoil, or if you have any other feedback you'd like to share, or if you can explain what the hell happened in this movie, please send us an email at spoilers at slate.com. Our producer is Danielle Hewitt. For Jeffrey Bloomer, I'm Dan Kois. Thanks for listening.